Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. And I'll return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together, we can make a difference. everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 181, Let the Right One In. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy, movies you know and movies you don't. Huge hi and welcome to Verbal Diorama, whether you are a regular returning listener or a brand new listener to this podcast, thank you so much for being here, thank you so much for choosing this podcast over the countless other movie podcasts that are out there, although I would highly recommend some of them because some of them are my close personal friends. 
But no matter how you found this podcast, I'm really genuinely happy to have you here listening to this podcast, but also for this episode specifically, because I'm going to be talking about the history and legacy of Let the Right One In. And this is a movie that was supposed to come out at Halloween. It's a little bit late, but I still desperately wanted to talk about this movie so much because I feel like this is a movie that really genuinely deserves to be talked about. I want to say before I get into it, just a huge thank you to everyone who did listen to the kind of spooky-ish movies that I covered sort of over the October period. So I did recent episodes on One Cut of the Dead and Train to Busan, and both of which were really well received by people. I got some really lovely comments about both of those episodes. And thank you so much to everyone who did take the time to comment or rated or reviewed those episodes. I'm really genuinely grateful for your support. And I also did the most recent episode on X-Men, the animated series. That was more of a bonus episode because I needed to fill a gap. I was ill for a little bit and I was unable to work on the podcast for a week or so. So I ended up losing two episodes essentially from the schedule. So this episode, Let the Right One In, was supposed to come out for Halloween, like I said. It's instead coming out a couple of weeks later. But... I love this movie. I think it's really special. I think it adds a twist to the traditional vampire story. But I think it's also really relatable as well. It has characters you can empathise with, as well as, most importantly, question their motives. And horror isn't just reserved for Halloween, of course. I'm not a huge fan of horror. I will always admit that on this podcast. But this is my sort of horror because it's scary, but it's also really visually and emotionally interesting. Visually interesting because the idea of this really pure, pristine, white, snowy Swedish landscape, and then you have these splashes of bright red blood, uh, it's so visceral. And there is an American remake to this movie, which I will touch on a bit later on in the episode, but I would recommend bypassing that for the far superior Swedish original. It is a story about the cruelty of humanity that just so happens to also feature a rather vicious vampire. Here's the trailer for Let the Right One In. Hade du tyckt om mig ändå? Vill du bli ihop med mig?
In the suburb of Blackerberg in Stockholm, 12-year-old Oscar is a lonely, isolated outcast, regularly bullied in school. At home, Oscar dreams of acting out his revenge, but is too scared to stand up for himself. He befriends Illy, a 12-year-old girl who lives next door with her father, and Illy tells him he should fight back. Illy only appears during the night in the playground they're building, and just recently, since she moved in, strange and vicious attacks have been happening in the neighbourhood, people drained of blood. We'll quickly run through the cast. We have Carl Hedebrandt as Oscar, Lionel Anderson as Illy, Per Ragnar as Hakan, Henrik Dahl as Eric, Karen Berkvist as Yvonne, Peter Karlberg as Lucky, Ika Nord as Virginia, Mikhail Rahm as Yoka, and Carl Robert Lindgren as Gosta. Let the Right One In was written by John Ivida Lindgist and based on his book, Let the Right One In, and directed by Thomas Alfredson. And you'll notice in October, I predominantly featured zombie movies, and the idea was that I was going to transition that month from zombies to vampires. Obviously, it didn't quite manage that. But Let the Right One In is probably one of the best modern vampire movies, and it also happens to be Swedish, which was another thing I was trying to do in October. I was trying to focus on foreign horror. And Sweden isn't particularly well known for its horror cinema, but it is for its notable directors like Ingmar Bergman and more recently Lasse Holstrom. The reason Sweden doesn't have an incredibly prevalent horror cinema is kind of twofold. Firstly, the Swedish Film Institute, the country's national film board, plays a significant role in feature film production in Sweden. The organisation offers financial support in a variety of ways, from technology and marketing to talent development and everything in between but most notably advances grants for feature films. This grant is a quantity of money that is used only for production and frequently accounts for a sizable fraction of the whole budget of the movie. This so-called soft money, in contrast to traditional debt, is only required to be repaid if the movie's financial performance meets a specific standard. The Swedish Film Institute's decision on advanced funding can make or break production. Given the diversification of alternative finance, perhaps slightly less now so than in the early 1960s when the Institute was created. Models for international co-productions have changed and brand new ideas like crowdfunding have emerged instead. The process created by Harry Sheen, founder of the Swedish Film Institute, was made to channel money from every movie ticket sold in Sweden into a fund from which more grants could be established. Certain principles about only investing in quality Swedish filmmaking and only allowing impartial experts to decide who was deserving of said brands. Sounds good, right? But there's a lot of bureaucracy and red tape and different ideas as to what constitutes the level of quote-unquote quality necessary. And this brings us to the second point. The problem for Swedish horror cinema is that the Swedish Film Institute has struggled to agree that genre cinema has that quality necessary to be funded. There's a real disconnect between the impartial expert knowledge and experience of horror and an idea that most horror is just low-brow jump scares or torture porn. And so rarely will Swedish horror movies get the necessary funding. But it leads to a vicious catch-22 situation, of there being so few examples of Swedish horror, that also means any future projects are less likely to be granted funding from the Institute. This isn't to discredit the work that Swedish Film Institute do at all, in any way, But it's just to highlight a little why Swedish horror seems to be so few and far between. But when we do get these sorts of films from Sweden, 
we do get stuff like Let the Right One In, along with other famous examples of really great Swedish cinema like The Seventh Seal and The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, and also lovely Swedish exports like Alexander Skarsgård. But I digress. What's possibly the first Swedish vampire movie actually came out in 2006, so only two years prior to Let the Right One In. It's called Frostbite and it takes place during midwinter in northern Sweden, perfect for vampires due to the Nordic winter. Frostbite had been in pre-production since 1998 and had real difficulty finding a Swedish distributor until Paramount saw the first 20 minutes and agreed to distribute the DVD. It was also the most special effects heavy film ever made in Sweden up to that point and several of its animators were also working on Peter Jackson's King Kong so that caused more delays. Over 300 visual effects shots are in Frostbite, a record beaten in 2009 by comedy science fiction film Kenny Begins. And the story of Let the Right One In starts with the story of Let the Right One In. John Iveda Lindqvist's debut novel, first published in 2004, set in suburban 1980s Stockholm, just like the movie, with the title referring to Morris's song Let the Right One Slip In, about a centuries-old vampire trapped in an androgynous child's body. The reason I say that is, well, spoilers for the book, I suppose, but the book explicitly reveals that Illy is actually a castrated boy named Elias. The Swedish movie alludes to it briefly. The American remake, which I'm going to come to later, does nothing but presume that the character of Abby, as she's renamed, is female. The book also goes into Hakan's backstory in more detail, He's basically a paedophile and his relationship with Illy isn't innocent. He murders people to feed her and in return she gives him physical contact. It's pretty gross, but the context is, is that Illy isn't actually a child, just looks like a child. It actually kind of makes it less gross, but both the Swedish and American movies eliminate this subplot completely, thankfully. The book was published in English in October 2008. Coincidentally, the same month as the movie premiered in Sweden and Ivida Linkvist's publisher Ordfront was contacted by producer John Nordling of production company EFTI in late 2004 about acquiring the rights to adapt his book for the big screen. Nordling, not deterred by Ordfront's reaction to his call, they apparently laughed in his face, decided to contact John Ivida Linkvist directly to express his admiration for the book and share his vision for making a movie version. At the same time, director Thomas Alfredson had been gifted the book by a friend and started reading it and instantly felt a connection to Oscar due to him himself being bullied at school. The vampire story was an added bonus. Alfredson had never directed horror before. He was mostly known as a theatre and comedy director. He would go on to say, quote, I really think you shouldn't do films of good books. The reason is the depth of a good book is so much greater than you could possibly do on screen in 90 minutes. But this was sort of the exception. Meanwhile, John Iveda Linkvist was setting out writing a screenplay based on his novel and Thomas Alfredson was made aware of the project. He set out contacting Iveda Linkvist and turned out that he was a fan of Alfredson's previous work and it was a coming together of minds on the project and most importantly for Alfredson, he had experience working with children. The focus in the movie was entirely on the love affair between the two leads and many of the book's minor characters and events were left out. In particular, Hakan's various characteristics, as I said, such as his paedophilia, were toned down, and the nature of his relationship with Illy was largely left for interpretation by the audience. 
In Alfredson's opinion, the movie could not satisfactorily address the serious subject of paedophilia, and this aspect would take away from the narrative of the kids and their bond. And there are many allusions to traditional vampire lore in this movie, such as them being burned by sunlight. And also, a key passage in the novel describes what occurs when a vampire walks into a room without being invited, which is against the rules according to conventional vampire belief. Ivida Linkvist insisted that it had to be in the movie, despite Alfredson's initial desire to leave it out. But he acquiesced to Ivida Linkvist's demands. Post-production, he realised the scene needed to be edited to eliminate sound effects and the music that made it, quote, American in a negative sense. Many critics praised the final product, which depicts Ely gradually starting to bleed from her paws, ears and eyes. In the end, Ivida Linkvist was satisfied with the adaptation. When Alfredson showed him eight minutes of footage for the first time, he started to cry because it was so damn beautiful. He subsequently described the finished film as a masterpiece. And the main characters being children meant an extensive casting process for the roles of Oscar and Illy. The process took over a year and a search all over Sweden to find, essentially, two sides of the same coin, which is something else I'm going to be coming back to. It was never just about one boy and one girl, but about a perfect pairing. And because Sweden doesn't actually have professional child actors, it took a search through schools and in advertisements to find Carl Hedebrandt and Lena Leanderson. Hedebrandt was scouted at his school and Leanderson responded to an online ad, which was open to both boys and girls, the only requirement being good at running. It was also important to have two actors who hadn't read the book and had no preconceived notion on how the characters look or acted. It was imperative to cast them both individually and together because their chemistry was vital to the movie. Because Illy is supposed to be centuries old, they didn't feel like a child's voice was suitable, so late in post-production they auditioned men and women up to the age of 40 to provide her speaking voice. Illith Salen provides all of Illy's dialogue in the film. Suzanne Rubin portrays Illy in her aged vampire form in two scenes, where she's lapping up Oscar's blood and just after the bleeding in the apartment scene. And this generally depicts her hunger. They use CG to enhance Lena Leanderson's eyes. I am going to be coming back to CG in a little bit, though, too. These children were also not allowed to read a script. And so the two young actors received all of their words and scenes and direction directly from Thomas Alfredson in order to concentrate on crafting very particular moments. Their parents, though, did read to approve of the entire content of the movie. The movie takes place in Blackerberg, a suburb of Stockholm, as I said, in the 1980s. The majority of filming took place in Lulea, with similar late 1950s architecture to that in Blackerberg. Additional scenes were shot in Blackerberg Town Square and an underpass in Rickster. Most of the exterior scenes were shot outside, but some were shot in temperature-controlled studios set to cold temperatures. The climbing frame, or juggle gym, as Americans would call it, where much of the interaction between Oscar and Ely takes place was constructed specifically for the film. Its design was intended to suit the cinemascope format better than a traditional climbing frame, which would typically have to be cropped height-wise. And it's hard to really contextualise this information, but Let the Right One In and Twilight actually came out within weeks of each other, with Let the Right One In beating Twilight to cinemas. And it's disappointing in a way because arguably Twilight made more of a pop culture mark but there's such a stark difference between the two depictions of vampire lore Twilight obviously focusing on the romanticization of vampires and let the right one in on the more traditional vampire lore 
they are both love stories at heart. And I say that very loosely about Twilight. But Let the Right One In is a much better love story, as well as being more violent and creepy. Although, I guess Twilight is pretty creepy. But while the pairing of Edward and Bella always feels a bit weird, the pairing of Oscar and Illy doesn't. And maybe it's something to do with the gender-swapped vampire characters. Or maybe it's because this isn't just teen love. This is a story about tormented souls, two sides of the same coin, of Illy being the sort of person Oscar wants to be. When he becomes close to turning into a monster himself, it's Illy who brings him back. When he needs someone to stand up for him, she does it. And she does it brutally and without remorse, looking deeper into Let the Right One In. Themes of sexual repression, paedophilia, parenthood, loneliness and attachment all emerge in a rather twisting and disturbing tale. Subject of bullying in this story is probably the hardest thing to watch for me because you can watch the blood and gore with ease but seeing young Oscar constantly hounded by school bullies and getting no respite, no help, finding joy and solace in brief moments such as with his dad until you realise his dad has his own demons. It's really horror upon horror for this poor young boy. And speaking of horror, many people find unintentional horror with the cat attack scene. Let the Right One In has a tiny cast and a small number of key locations. It's not a sizable effects-driven blockbuster. That doesn't mean Alfredson didn't hesitate to use computer-generated effects when scenes called for it. He and his colleagues frequently use CGI in very subtle ways to highlight Ely's particular motions and mannerisms and increasing the unsettling quality of a snowy environment at night is one thing. But the cats are another. So there are over 50 CGI shots in Let the Right One In. And Alfredson was careful not to use too much because he believes that most movies over-rely on the technology. But to get a... What is a collective noun for cats? I don't know. A gang of cats, let's say. To attack someone in real life isn't easy. You can train cats, but a gang of cats, very difficult to train. So they relied on real cats for some shots, they relied on stuffed cats for other shots, and also CG cats, which it is a little bit obvious that they are CG, but don't let that put you off. The scene itself was actually one of the most complicated scenes to plan and film, but while there is quite a lot of digital enhancement in this movie, there's also a lot of analogue enhancement too. So they insisted on using analogue sound effects throughout the movie. Recordings of the actors biting into sausages to replicate biting into flesh and drinking yoghurt to mimic drinking blood. I have just looked it up, by the way. The collective noun for cats is a clouder or a cluster of cats. The more you know. Cinematographer Huit van Huytema, who'd go on to be the cinematographer for Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, Interstellar, Spectre, Dunkirk. He'd been nominated for an Oscar and a BAFTA for that one. Ad Astra, Tenet, and most recently Jordan Peele's Nope, gives Let the Right One In a distinct geometric motif with lots of long lens shots, even down to the use of the Rubik's Cube in shots. These scenes are full of muted blacks, whites, and bluish greys, and that's done on purpose to make the bursts of red blood, orange flame, etc. stand out even more. And Van Hoytemer intentionally adds reds and oranges to each scene just to make them pop. The colour palette is supposed to represent Oscar's solitude and isolation. And the relationship between Ilya and Hakan being left open to interpretation lends credence, I think, to the idea that Ilya being immortal, needing someone to help her, 
that Hakan has been doing this for many years, that he himself probably started at a similar age to Oscar. Hakan is obviously older, fears that Ely will leave him for a younger model, that he will be replaced. It's likely that things like her Fabergé egg and rings were gifts from men over the years. And it's really interesting as well because she may love Oscar, but that look could also just be a necessity for her to continue to survive because she needs someone to acquire blood for her. That person going forward will likely be Oscar. And it's a position that he can't just up and leave. Oscar seems content with this because obviously he boards a train with her to their new life together. But it's a captivating and unique take on vampiric law that maybe love and commitment aren't mutually exclusive and that as adults really don't see what's going on in the world or maybe we don't care enough. But every time I watch this movie, I want to scream at the gym teacher and Oscar's mother that he's so obviously being bullied and why are they not helping that child? And speaking of people being bullied, I think it's a really good opportunity to segue to this episode's obligatory Keanu reference. So this is a part of the podcast where I link the movie that I'm featuring to Keanu Reeves. And the reason I mentioned bullying is feel that Keanu has been bullied for this role in particular. People say that he's not very good, that his accent is terrible. But you know, he starred in the OG vampire movie, Bram Stoker's Dracula. He was Jonathan Harker in that movie. And it's actually not that bad. The movie itself is absolutely exquisite. It is genuinely one of the best vampire movies. It's up there with Let the Right One In for me as a brilliant traditional vampire movie. But Keanu's not as bad in that movie as you remember. I guarantee. And the internet needs to stop bullying Keanu for that. The music of Let the Right One In was composed by Swedish musician Johan Sodekvist. In contrast to the circumstances depicted in the movie, Thomas Alfredson asked him to write something that sounded beautiful and hopeful. Sodekvist stressed melody and harmony as the most crucial aspects of the songs, describing the result as consisting of both darkness and light. The score was performed by the Slovak National Symphony Orchestra, which had also performed the score for Frostbite, interestingly, two years prior. So on January 26th, 2008, Let the Right One In had its world premiere at the Gothenburg Film Festival in Sweden, where Alfredsson was awarded the festival's Nordic Film Prize. It then screened at a number of other film festivals, including the Neuchatel International Fantastic Film Festival in Switzerland in July 2008, where it won the Malaise d'Argent, Silver Malaise, the Tribeca Film Festival in New York City in April 2008, where it won the Founders Award for Best Narrative Feature, and the Edinburgh Film Festival in June 2008, where it won the Rotten Tomatoes Critical Consensus Award. The Swedish premiere was originally scheduled for the 18th of April 2008, but the producers opted to push back the release date of the autumn to give the film a longer theatrical run to the screenings at the festival's received favourable reviews. There was once a plan to screen the movie in Lilia for a limited time, starting on the 24th of September and lasting for seven days. When the Swedish Film Institute revealed that Let the Right One In had lost out to Everlasting Moments as Sweden's entry for the 81st Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film, this early screening was called off. Despite the fact that the film was then released within the eligibility period for the 82nd Academy Awards, it wasn't among the films considered because the Swedish Film Institute does not allow a film to be considered twice. On the 24th of October 2008, it was released in Sweden and Norway, with a limited release in the United States. The movie opened in Australia on the 19th of March 2009 and here in the UK on the 10th of 
April 2009. It would open at number two in Sweden on its release on the 24th of October 2008, beaten out by High School Musical 3 Senior Year. It only grossed $1,000 more in its debut week than Mamma Mia, which had been around for 16 weeks. Never underestimate the power of ABBA. It would go on to gross $2.1 million in the US, $9.1 million internationally for a total worldwide gross of $11.2 million. It cost 29 million Swedish kroner to make, which is the equivalent of $4.5 million. And critically, this is a movie that the critics absolutely adore. It is 98% certified fresh at Rotten Tomatoes, with Roger Ebert comparing it to Nosferatu and Nosferatu the Vampire. Despite its lack of Oscar eligibility, Let the Right One In was nominated for a BAFTA for Best Film Not in the English Language and would be nominated for seven awards at Sweden's Goldbagger Awards, winning five. As I said, it would also win the top awards at Tribeca and also the Edinburgh International Film Festivals. And this is where we start to talk a little bit about the remake. Hammer Films acquired the rights for an American remake at the 2008 Tribeca Film Festival, planned for a release in 2010. Thomas Alfredson expressed unhappiness about the idea of a remake, suggesting that remakes should be made of movies that are very good. That gives you the chance to fix whatever has gone wrong. He expressed concern that the end result would be too mainstream for American audiences. He was initially asked to direct the remake, but he turned it down. Cloverfield director Matt Reeves directed Let Me In, starring Chloe Grace Moretz as Abby and Cody Smith-McPhee as Owen. But... And excuse the pun, it lacks the bite of the original, in my opinion. There's also several stage adaptations. So there's one by Jack Thorne, directed by John Tiffany, which debuted in the winter of 2013 at the Royal Port Theatre, which was very well received by critics. A revived version, directed by Bryony Shanahan, debuted on the 22nd of October 2022 at the Royal Exchange Theatre. It is continuing until the 19th of November 2022 which actually is a couple of days after the release of this episode. So if you're quick, you might be able to get tickets for that. Hammer Films and Dark Horse Comics teamed up to create a series of graphic novels and comics based on Let Me In, the American remake of Let the Right One In, and a TV series starring Demian Bashir, Madison Taylor Bays, Anika Noni Rose and Grace Gummer, premiered on the 9th of October 2022. It's not a remake of Let the Right One In. It's more inspired by the story. It's a story about a father whose daughter was turned into a vampire 10 years earlier. I've not seen it because I don't even think it's airing over here in the UK. But if you have seen it, please let me know what you think, especially if you've seen this original movie. Speaking of let me know what you think, I'm doing great with the segues today. I like to know what people think of the movies that I'm featuring. I like to ask on Patreon. I also like to ask on social media. Twitter, while it's still around, Instagram and Facebook. We're going to start with the patron thoughts. And we're going to start with Vern. And Vern says, Let the Right One In is so much a story about love and friendship than one about a vampire. I love that it's not even about gender. They both love each other for who they are as people. Beautiful movie that will never be duplicated no matter how many adaptations they make. I'm looking at you, Showtime Network. And just so you know, Vern has his own podcast. He hosts Cinema Recall. And they love discussing iconic moments in film. Cinema Recall also loves cult movies, which is probably why Let the Right One In is so much up his alley. I will put some information in the show notes for all of the patrons and their podcasts. So I'll put information in the show notes for Cinema Recall. Please have listened to the podcast. I'm actually going to be on the podcast 
very shortly myself talking about, surprise, surprise, a Keanu Reeves movie. So listen out for that in the next couple of months or so. We also have perennial commenter Andy returning. And Andy says, So it's been a vampire's age since I've seen this, but all I can say is that this Swedish import is vastly superior than the American remake, and I'm fairly certain I'll be avoiding the series. Gonna fire up a rewatch once I find where it's streaming. And I can tell you, Andy, I know that it makes no difference, but I can tell you it is streaming here in the UK on Amazon Prime Video, but I don't know if it's streaming in the States. So I apologise for not knowing that information. But Andy also has his podcast, Geek Salad. It is the one-stop shop for all of your geeky, nerdy needs, whether that is TV, movies, video games, board games, music, snacks. They've done an episode on snacks. So if you are of a bit of a geeky disposition, then I guarantee there will be something in the Geek Salad back catalogue that you will enjoy listening to. I've been on several episodes. Obviously, if I'm on it, it's well worth your time. So I'll put some information in the show notes for Geek Salad. Make sure that you have a listen. We also have a patron comment from Pete who says, Let the Right One In is a wonderful example of modernising classic lore taking the idea and tropes of vampire stories and playing it as realistic as possible in a modern story. The fact that it's really a friendship romance story of two young kids makes it even more compelling. 10 out of 10 N2. And Pete also has a podcast. So his podcast is him and Joseph and Tyler and they host Middle Class Film Class. It is a weekly movie news and reviews podcast. And because Pete is basically the top tier patron of Verbal Diorama, Not only does he get to nominate episodes such as the recent Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon, he also has a little ad at the end of this episode as well. So if you don't want to listen to me tell you that you should listen to Middle Class Film Class, then there will be a little ad at the end of this episode with him telling you that you should listen to his podcast. But I will put information in the show notes for Middle Class Film Class. And the final patron comment comes from a brand new patron. I'm going to tell you a little bit about later on, but this is from Ali. And Ali says, The horror works incredibly well as it is placed firmly into a setting of ordinary lives. The hospital scenes are terrifying, but it's mainly a story of friendship and how some people are far worse than vampires. Moving over to some comments on Twitter. And we're going to start with at Wulong Talks, who says, I remember watching this for the first time and being blown away. The atmospheric tension, the use of cast shadows, the mise-en-scene, just outstanding. The US remake was a brave attempt to capture the magic, but there's something uniquely Scandinavian about it. At DW Lundberg said, Horror as poetry, so spooky and dreamlike, and practically dripping with atmosphere, as opposed to most American-made horror films which are artless and blunt. Oscar and Illy's relationship is handled so delicately that I never knew whether to be creeped out or genuinely moved. Moving over to Instagram, we have at Glocky Bunny, who says, I hope they be in it. Who cares if they grow up? It just makes sense to have them in it. I remember that whole movie by heart. And when they left on the train at the end, I was just searching for a part two. So they have to show up. And at Richard J. Moore said, Let the Right One In is, in my opinion, the greatest film ever made. It's moving, beautiful, horrifying, sweet and tense. The soundtrack perfect, the performances nailed and directed with class. Nothing can top this film. No comments over on Facebook for Let the Right One In. And not very many comments for this movie in particular, but some really lovely comments for this movie. And I think this is genuinely a movie that so many people do adore. 
but maybe that a lot of people haven't seen. So if you are listening to this and you love this movie as much as I do and as much as some of these other people do, then I think it's kind of our job to get this movie out there, to tell people about this movie and most importantly, to not let the one inch barrier of subtitles put anyone off from watching this movie because this movie is so beautiful and so very deserves to be seen by the general public. So as always, a huge thank you to everyone, to the patrons and to everyone on Twitter and Instagram for their comments on Let the Right One In. Let the Right One In should be at the top of people's minds when it comes to certain Hollywood genres, vampire movies, for certain horror movies, coming-of-age movies, maybe even romantic dramas, because it ticks all of the boxes for each. And maybe that's to its detriment as well as to its strength. Because it's such a slow burn, it feels restrained and contemplative contemplative rather than bombastic and shocking. And the horror isn't as overt as some other vampire movies are. But horror comes in all forms. And the scarier cinema can often be the experiences of real life reflected back at us. Vampires were everywhere in 2008. And really the wrong vampires got all of the praise and adoration. Let the Right One In takes the law and also gives us a sad, sombre, coming-of-age tale anyone who had a tough childhood or or who was bullied can empathise with. We all would have wanted someone like Ely on our side. But does she care for Oscar because she cares or because she needs to care? It's one of the many questions that linger with you after this movie ends. It's both a terrifying horror and a unique and tender look at the fragility of relationships and it feels like Hollywood could never. And they tried, and Let Me In isn't terrible, but it just can't capture the rawness, depth and social commentary that Thomas Alfredson achieves with Let the Right One In. As a human being, you just want to scoop up sweet, kind Oscar and look after that lovely child who just seems to face hardship after hardship. It takes his relationship with Illy to let the right emotion out, so to speak. Anger, frustration and violence. Oscar's bliss at violently attacking his bully is as cathartic for the viewer as it is for Oscar himself. Although obviously the fact that the gym teacher sees that instead of the months of Oscar's torment just adds to my personal frustration empathising with Oscar's plight. The fact that the whole film and the finale especially is solely from Oscar's point of view you don't actually need any of the slaughter of the kid because all you need to see is Oscar's face. It kind of eschews the traditional big finish of a movie like this. There's romance, but there's nothing romanticised. This is just Illy's life. And because she's committed all this murder, she has to move on. She needs someone to help her. It encapsulates this childlike innocence and immaturity. These are just two exceptionally lonely characters who find each other and find they can't live without each other. Let the right one in asks, who are the real monsters? Is it Illy, even though she's just doing what she needs to to survive? Is it Hakan, murdering innocent people to feed her? Is it Oscar's bullies? Could it even be the authority figures in Oscar's life for failing to realise that he is really struggling? Or is it just the people who chose to promote Twilight over this in 2008? I think you know the answer to that question. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on Let the Right One In. And I would love it if you could get involved and help this podcast grow by leaving a rating or review wherever you found it, telling your friends or family about this podcast, or following me on social media and retweeting or liking posts. You can find me 
on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Verbal Diorama. So if you like this episode on Let the Right One In, you might also like one of the following movies slash episodes from the back catalogue of this podcast. So this was a really difficult one to choose because there's not really anything like this movie that exists other than maybe Let Me In, which I've not done an episode on. So I kind of tried to think outside of the box a little bit and I wanted to recommend episode 109, Pan's Labyrinth. Totally different movie, but it is a horrific movie in so many senses. There's another terrific child performance because I can't stress how terrific the child actors are in Let the Right One In. Similarly, in Pan's Labyrinth, an exceptional child actor performance in that movie. And it is basically the horrors of real life in in a similar way to Let the Right One In. It is a movie about fantastical horror as well, but it's also a movie about real life horrors, the horrors of war. And it's just a really, truly beautiful movie. It is Guillermo del Toro's magnum opus, as far as I'm concerned. It is definitely well worth your time. I have mentioned this in this episode, but episode 118, Bram Stoker's Dracula, because that is the big daddy of vampire movies. And Bram Stoker's Dracula, it may have been made all the way back in 1992, but still looks so beautiful today. Absolutely gorgeous. Very few CG effects in that movie. In fact, as I recall from the episode I did on it, there's only one non-practical effect in that movie and it is not what you think it is either. If you've not seen that movie in a while, please re-watch it because it's so worth your time. Keanu is not as bad as you remember, but it's just a genuinely beautiful movie. And episode 122, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Just because it's fun vampires. And it also contains a cheer about how funky is your chicken. And if that doesn't scream, let the right one in, then I don't know what does. Give me feedback. Let me know what you thought of my recommendations. The next episode is a total 180. Nothing to do with horror. It's nothing to do with vampires. It's everything to do with stoner slacker comedy. It's a movie that I only got introduced to very recently, actually. I'm going to be doing the next episode on the movie Super Troopers. Because would you believe it's an absolutely fascinating movie with a fascinating backstory and also made an absolute ton at the box office despite not being made for very much money. So Super Troopers is a remarkable success story. So let's talk about it on the next episode. Now, just having you here listening to this episode is more than enough for me if you want to support this show. But if you do want to support the show financially, you can do if you go to verbaldiorama.com slash Patreon and you can join the amazing patrons of this podcast. Simon E, Sade, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Vern, Kristin, Kat, Andy, Mike, Griff, Luke, Emily, Michael, Scott, Brendan, Ian, Lise, Sam, Will, Jack, Dave, Chris, Stuart, Sonny, Drew, Nicholas, Zoe, Kev, Pete, Heather, Danny, and a huge hi and welcome to brand new patron, Alison. We let the right one in with you, Alison. Thank you so much for joining the Patreon. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you, all of the patrons, for your support. It genuinely means so much to me to have the support of all of you wonderful people. If you want to check out my merch store, you can. It's verbaldiorama.com slash merch. You can get in touch with me if you want to. You can email me verbaldiorama at gmail.com. 
or you can pop over to verbaldiorama.com where you can listen to all of the episodes of this podcast and you can also get in touch using the contact form or you can also find me at filmstories at filmstories.co.uk and also at filmstories magazine. I write for the magazine and I also write for the website as well. Thank you so much for listening. And finally. Vi ska blanda. Det är ju inte alls sånt. Men du behöver ju bara sticka det i fingret. Hey there, classmates. Tune in to Middle Class Film Class every Monday and Wednesday for weekly movie news, streaming picks, and one deep dive review. The Batman trailer. There was a teaser. There was a trailer. Trailer one, trailer two. Final trailer? I don't know if it's the same one. How many trailers do we need exactly? Leave an email or a voicemail to join in the discussion. Bullshit artist! Uh, <laughs> yeah, buddy! All That's right. awesome. You're going full Danzig. That's right, I am. My, my trans yeah, has no power, power over me. me. <laughs> <laughs>